Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. It's Marcy tonight. Oh, right. It's Marcy tonight. Oh, well, then you probably can't even answer my question, because I cannot find, I cannot find any information about who I'm supposed to interview tonight. 
I do have you know? It and you yes, do have it. I do know. Mm-hmm. You don't. You do or don't. I do have it. I have it. Okay, good. And can, can you, you email it to me? Yes, I'll email it. Okay, to you. so that I have it too. That would be good. And who are we interviewing tonight? Manjara Cromwell. Um, she has a doctorate of somatic medicine, and she's the president of Sima Technology. I believe she does sound healing and sound technology. All right. Well, we look forward to speaking with her this evening at 9 o'clock. Oh, you know, there's a whole lot that's been going on in New York State, where I live, about measles this year. I don't know how it is in the other states and what's going on there, but I think it's been, you know, pretty much a rallying issue for a lot of people um, in many ways. Um, Measles, um, more cases of measles were reported in New York State this year than I think uh, were reported worldwide for the previous something like 10 years. Wow. You know, there was a big debate about, you know, well, isn't it just normal for kids to get measles and Shouldn't that just be okay? And so doctors were really left going, no, it's not, but what can we really say? And so a new report has come out. Um, and then this uh, article is from um, through NPR. And it says the measles virus causes a severe and sometimes fatal illness. And new studies suggest that it wipes out the immune system leaving anyone who has the measles virus vulnerable to dangerous infections for months and even years afterwards. Ray looked at blood samples from 77 children in the Netherlands who were not vaccinated, and they found that measles wiped out 11 to 73 percent of the antibodies in the immune system. Similar tests in vaccinated children found no loss of antibodies. Measles is much more than a common childhood disease. It has a long-term stealth-like detrimental effect that is extraordinarily difficult to measure, thus really taking away your health for most of your life. It's hard for many people who've never actually seen any harm come from childhood diseases to really understand how important vaccinations are. I hope that this vital information will help some parents relax about vaccinations and understand that they don't just help protect our children against diseases now, but they wind up increasing the lifespan. What did you tell me last night, Mick, that the lifespan in the United States has gone down? Decreased for the first time in a decade. And this has a lot to do with lack of immunizations. We got snow Mm -hmm. last night. Really? Yeah. For snow? (laughs) No, it's the second. We got three inches last week and about an inch and a half last night. Are you ready for it? Are you excited? I love the winter. I do. Are we ready? No, we didn't, you know, that we never get enough leaves raked up before it snows, but that's just the way it is. Because we have lots of oak trees 
and the oaks are very tenacious about holding onto their leaves. And we found, you know, one year when we said, oh, well, we'll break the leaves now. And then, of course, the oaks dropped all their leaves, and it was like we hadn't done a thing. So now we wait for the oaks to let go. And that sometimes puts the thwart of the snow. But it's getting warmer again, and we're hoping to dig some dandelion root this weekend. I was so, so still digging root season, even after a freeze. So long as you can get into the ground, it's digging root season, you bet. Mm-hmm. Is there a My time when it ends? Vermont. <laughs> Is the ground frozen solid? At some point here in Maine, but um, it, not is yet. It frozen solid now? No, no, no. No, then you can still dig roots. Mhm. Mhm. What else do we do? We put up some uh, shisandra berry tincture, and we put up some elderberry tincture, and we put up some um, cardenopsis tincture, and some vitex. Mm. We got out all the dried things and made some tinctures because with those dried things, I like for them to sit as long as possible. My ideal is for them to sit for a year before I use them. So I didn't know that you had certain herbs that you were drying first. I don't dry them first. I don't can't get them. I must buy them dried. Oh, okay. Oh, and so you you. Them after a year. There's no way for me to gather enough elderberries to make elderberry tincture. Mm. It would probably take me the better part of a week to get maybe an ounce of elderberries. The birds eat them all. Yeah. So I buy them dried. I love that option. Right. I don't grow codnopsis. So Mm -hmm. I buy codnopsis dried. And it's really been a a wonderful ally for my sweetheart who has angina pain. And uh, he was just noticing that he was about time for him to refill his uh, prescription for nitroglycerin, which is taken to stop angina pain. And that previously he had redoing his prescription every four to six weeks. And it's been a year since he's redone his prescription. And that's a year of cognosis. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's so yeah. Cool. And again, since it's winter and cold time, and not the time when when there's very much fresh except for roots that we can get. I do hope to grow cottonopsis, though. It's also called a bellflower. And uh, apparently it's pretty easy to grow, so who knows? This time next year I may be talking about my own cottonopsis. That'll be fun. That's exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I put the word out tonight for your call, so I hope I have a lot of people I know calling on the line tonight, and I have a few email questions that came in as well. And let's remind everybody that if you want to ask a question, you need to raise your hand by pushing the number one, and then you will light up on the board, and Marcy can say, oh, a caller from this area code, and you can come through. Chinese regulators have approved a new seaweed-based drug to treat Alzheimer's. And in clinical trial involving 808 
18 people, the drug oligomonante improved cognitive function in patients with Alzheimer's. The apparent benefits were apparent within just four weeks and stayed throughout the 36-week trial. It could go on sale in China, but it has not yet been tested in the U.S. And Europe, the developers say sugar in the seaweed suppresses bacteria in the gut that causes inflammation in the brain. That's awesome. And you don't have to wait for the drug. You could just eat seaweed. I just bought my dad a family pack of nori snacks because he's having heart issues. Yeah. Mm. Very nice. A good introduction to seaweed nori snacks. So Mm -hmm. easy to eat. Yeah. I made it easy for him. So, if there's somebody with their hand raised, let's take their question. And if not, let's do the email questions. Okay, we have several callers with their hands raised. So, let's start with caller in the 718 area code. You're on. Hi, Susan. Hi. So, I've been having um, pain, like in my mouth, um, the gums, and when I sort of brush my teeth, I've been using yarrow for a while, so I'm not sure why I'm having this pain or, like, two pimples develop, like, um, behind my upper teeth and lower teeth. Um, I think I'm trying to remember what I ate, like, over the weekend. Like, I had a piece of pineapple, and that Uh really... pineapple, that will do it. Yeah, threw me off. Pineapple, um, pineapple has contains an enzyme that eats flesh. Oh, that's what it felt like was happening, and it was just a, such a small piece. But I, I felt like I'm very sensitive to that, and I right away like stopped. Um, I'm wondering, like, what what else? I've been using yarrow actually a couple of times a day, and it's it's keeping it's keeping it calm, but it's not like I still have the pain and, you know, um, I don't even know how to describe what I'm feeling. And I was wondering if there's anything else I can do in in addition to the yarrow, or is it okay to make a yarrow infusion and drink it? And you would make a yarrow? No, you wouldn't make an infusion. You'd make a yarrow tea? To drink it for what reason? I just wanted to know if that would help. Like, I'm using tincture now. Like, I use it mixed with water for, um, like, mouthwash. I use it, the tincture for, um, you know, to, you know, brush my teeth with it. I did it for a while. I never, um, usually any little thing that calms it down right away. But this seems to be, like, a bigger um, incident, you know, sort of reaction. And the arrow is already couple of days that I'm using yarrow more rinsing my mouth with it like you know every so often but it's not I haven't gotten to um the feeling to feeling less irritability in my mouth and I was wondering if there's anything so let me let me say again what has gone on because I don't think I've been sure enough yeah yeah pineapple 
contains an enzyme which digests meat. Okay. Your mouth is meat. Oh. Okay. The pineapple ate a hole in your mouth Mm -hmm. or two. Okay. It has to heal. Mm -hmm. Anything you do that doesn't hurt it can help it heal, but nothing Mm -hmm. really going to make it heal much faster than it would ordinarily heal. Okay, that's good. So I don't have to worry. I just let it take its time. Exactly. Exactly. I would probably put a little dab of honey on those two spots. Oh, okay. Because honey is very soothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, because that enzymatic action is kind of a burning action, and honey really helps deal with burns. Mm Mm-hmm. And yarrow is an anti-infective, but this is not caused by an infection. I got it now. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. I don't think that using yarrow in some other way um, would deal would change it, um, partly because yarrow is an astringent. Hmm. And right now, I would guess that that tissue doesn't want to be too strongly astringent. Right, right. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Okay. Okay, Usually, yarrow tea is used to create a lot of heat in the body. Mm -hmm. It's a feverfuge. It makes you get really hot and run a fever. Oh, wow. So that's why I was asking why you wanted to drink yarrow. Yeah, no, no, I don't, not for that. I guess I misunderstood what was happening in my mouth, and I appreciate you clarify that. Right, and And in general, we don't want to make infusion from any herb that has a strong scent. Okay. Um, Good to know, thank you. Also, I've been having lately more gaziness than usual. I do use yellow dock on a steady basis for, you know, uh, regular bowel movements, and that's working great since you suggested that to me. I'm really thankful for that. It changed my life. Um, and I don't know why. Just been having, like, gaziness pretty much. Are you um, using fennel seed or any of those aromatic seeds? No. That's one of my favorite remedies for gas. Okay. Uh, the aromatic seeds, including fennel seed, anise seed, coriander seed, cumin seed, um, all the aromatic compounds of those seeds specifically reduce mm-hmm. gas and help keep the intestines functioning very well. In any form is good? Or any specific? A tea. A tea. Okay. A tea. A teaspoonful of these seeds in a cup of boiling water. And sweeten it if you want to and let it steep for four or five minutes and drink it. Okay. That would be great. All right. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for just oh, just knowing always what to say. Um, okay. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Good night. Good night. Green blessings. Okay. Our next caller is coming from the 650 area code. You're on. 
Uh, hi, Susan. Thanks for Hello. taking my call. Um, I have a question about honey. Okay. And um, I'm not sure if making rosemary honey is a good idea. I've, I know that I read in Juliet Levy's book that um, she likes to use lots of rosemary, and then some of the herbalists in the books I've read say not to use it too much because it has a like a bad effect. What do you think about uh, rosemary honey? I'm very unclear as to what it is you're asking. And what well, it just is, using what it is, the, um, like making, I've you're made telling a lot me of, that you're reading me? somewhere that people are saying don't make rosemary honey? No, that that if you use large amounts of rosemary, you can have a oh, poison. Wait, 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 wait. So what does rosemary honey have to do with large amounts? Oh, okay. So that's not a large amount. Well, you know, I don't know. What are they defining as a large amount? They're the ones you're saying it, not me. Yeah, no, I don't know. That's why I was confused because I thought you could make honey out of any of the mints. So, so that's good. I can because there's See, so did much. Did you read anything that said you can't? Well, not about honey, but like in like I had looked at, up in David Hoffman's book and John Lust's book, and they said be careful about using large amounts of rosemary. And it what kind is of a large amount? I don't. I don't know. That's why I was asking you. What would you think a large amount would be? A teaspoonful? Um, I have no idea. Would be a large amount? I think like I would think like you put a because lot of so much of rosemary. Of the would use would be a teaspoonful, right? Yeah, and but then if you take, um, if my husband uses, a, he loves the infused honey, so he could take that as you say lavishly, and it would be fine—just a teaspoon a day, like a spoon a day of the rosemary that's honey. That's not lavish. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. What? Suppose I said I am going to give you a lavish hug, and I came up to you and touched you with one finger. Right. <laughs> would that be a lavish hug? No. Well, then I think we agree on lavish. How can a teaspoon a day be lavish? Oh, good. I'm glad it's not. So I, I was hope I thought you would say that. What is a large amount? If you were going to drink coffee, what would a large amount be? Well, I don't, but I would think drinking three pots a day would be a lot. There you go. A, a huge amount. Mm-hmm. You are oh. making yourself crazy over nothing, aren't you? Probably. Do you do this often? Yeah. Oh, good. So, yeah. um, and there's so much, there's so much like rosemary. You do it frequently. That yeah. You, that you totally misrepresent what's being said to you. Turn it into an exercise in terror. And do any of these people say what bad thing is going to happen to you if you use excessive amounts of rosemary? No. So what are you worried about? Um, now I'm not worried about anything. Thank you. Good. John Lust, rosemary, leaves and flowering tops, antispasmodic, cholagog, amenagog, stimulant, stomach ache. The stimulant action of rosemary promotes liver function, the production of bile and proper digestion. It improves circulation. There is a genuine danger of poisoning from rosemary, so I use it more often externally. 
the leaves cooked in wine is useful against rheumatism. An infusion of the leaves is used as a scalp wash, and the tea makes a good mouthwash. So it says, caution, excessive amounts of rosemary taken internally can cause fatal poisoning. So let me ask you, do you believe absolutely everything that everyone says to you? No, and I, I didn't really believe that either. So were you able to find any, anything of, of any kind that talks about a human death caused by rosemary? No. No, not at all. I don't suppose you have any aspirin in the house. I probably do. Most people do. Mm-hmm. Aspirin is a favorite drug for killing yourself. <laughs> but you have to take lavish amounts. Yeah. So I will tell you what I tell most of my students, and that is you want to know about herbs, stay away from the Internet and understand that John Lust, we used to call him a scaredy cat. Yeah. Human death as a result of ingesting rosemary. Compounds from rosemary are used as food preservatives. Human death is the result of ingesting rosemary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all from essential oil. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking that would be the case. <laughs> <laughs> Not from the plant. Mm-hmm. Well, you're the person I go to with the, with the questions, but I'm so glad because I've been using the rosemary is so abundant. Yeah. Hey, could I ask you a question about mallow infusion? I was trying to buy some, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Do most people, when they make a mallow infusion, just make it from their own dried mallow, or is it something that you can ordinarily buy, the dried mallow? Well, buy the mallow that grows in wet places, which is known as a marsh. Yeah. And so what mallow is that? Well, I don't have marsh. that near where I live. Or have like a garden mallow. I'm sorry. But I don't. I don't have that marshmallow near where I live. But um, said you were trying to buy it. I'm telling you what's for sale. Oh, it is. Okay, good. I'll just look further for it. And um, I, I have a question do, about hibiscus. Where did you look to buy marshmallow that you could not buy it? Um, the, I couldn't buy the dried plant. I, I was looking on Frontier, but only once when I bought some herbs about a month ago. Dried marshmallow root? Oh, you use the root. Of course. But not the powder. You use it. It's, it's like I don't a use cutter. any herb powdered. Yeah, yeah, I know. Occasionally but cinnamon. You just buy the, the root cut, uh, the cut up root of the marshmallow. Marshmallow, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to look for that. Okay, so you won't I have, have to look for it. It's a common item of commerce. All herb sellers sell marshmallow root. Okay, good. Good. I think I was looking for leaves for some reason. So, if, um, if you want to do leaves, yes, you'll have to harvest them yourself because leaves are not an item of commerce. Mhm. 
I have a question about um, – I had a, a – not a that high, but a, kind of on the high side of an arsenic and mercury levels. But I was trying to figure out what you would You have high arsenic and mercury levels according to? It just was a uh, a blood test. Done it, by? It the, the, the normal side of high, like the normal side was 10 and mine was 11. And who did the blood test? It was just done as part of a physical at my doctor's. Regular MD? Regular MD, yeah. Okay. And then I had a 24-hour urine thing, and I'm going to have my water tested because I have a well. Mm-hmm. And um, But I was wondering, like, years ago I went to a homeopathic doctor, like mm-hmm. a, a trained a classic homeopath, and I took arsenic as a remedy. Could that make you have, like, a kind of a false or whatever level of arsenic in your blood? Do you understand how a homeopathic remedy is made? I try to, but I know how it's just small, 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 small. You're wrong. You're wrong. It's smaller than small. It's non-existent. Yeah. So what you're saying is totally and completely impossible. Okay. That's good. Because you never took arsenic. Mm Mm-hmm. You took a remedy that started with arsenic, mm-hmm. but you didn't actually take arsenic itself. Okay. Do you understand the difference? Yeah, I do. Okay. A homeopathic remedy begins as a mother tincture. This mother tincture is diluted by a factor of 10, then another factor of 10, and so on. Mother tinctures are not considered a homeopathic remedy until they are diluted to the point where not a single atom of the plant material remains. In a 30x dilution, the original substance has been diluted. One with... 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24, 30 zeros after it. Whoa. You didn't take arsenic, did you? No. No. Mm-hmm. You can get more arsenic from breathing than from taking a homeopathic remedy. Yeah. So, no. Certainly not. Do you eat a lot of rice? I do. Rice has very high levels of arsenic. Hmm. Okay. And I eat a lot of seaweed, too. And what kind of seaweed do you generally eat? Um, different kinds. Of bladder rack, you know, the mm-hmm. fucus, and mm-hmm. then some kelp. And I live near the ocean, too, so I'm always in mm. the ocean. But um, And sea lettuce. Just depends on what I buy. And then I'll I eat am- all and then buy another one. Mhm, mhm. Lovely. I'm trying to do your wise woman way. <laughs> for you, good for you. Yeah, so you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions. Mhm. Yep. Well, I don't think that you have anything to be overly concerned about. As you say, the levels are just barely above. 
yeah. normal, and nobody has shown that having those very slightly elevated levels is going to do any great damage to you. In fact, pursuing them might do more damage than having those slight levels. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't have any symptoms. Right. All right. Well, thank you. So, Susan. and that's the kind of that's fishing expedition that limits the lifespan of people who go to the doctor every year. <laughs> there is no medical organization, not even the American Medical Association, that suggests a yearly checkup. Mm-hmm. And we have very strong evidence that people who go for a yearly checkup shorten their lifespans because of doctor interventions, because mm-hmm. things are found with these fishing expeditions. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation for myself is that I stay away from doctors. Why am I going for a yearly checkup? I don't need a yearly checkup. Mm-hmm. No, you're so supportive in that. I appreciate that so much. Yes, yeah, so I don't I, have mammograms, and I'm, I'm really always questioning sick. why you went to the doctor in the first place. Um, you said it was just for a yearly checkup. I'm and pain I'm saying, in my ear, and I, I thought it was from my jaw, but I just wanted to make sure that I didn't have... I wanted someone to look at my ear and make sure that my... Tympanic membrane was that not good. Why are you then? Why are you then looking at the arsenic in your blood? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just did. Well, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Somebody to look at your ear. You go in there and have somebody look at your ear, and you walk out without doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Because those fishing expeditions are never to your benefit. Yeah. So. Unless you feel very strongly. Otherwise, I would say just to let the whole thing drop. Okay. Thanks, Susan. You're and welcome. And I will go to the doctor this year. How about that? Okie dokie. Green blessings. Green blessings. Thank you. Bye. Okay. So our next caller is calling from the 202 area code. On your Hi line. there. Thank you. Great. Hi there. Can you hear me? Hi. Hello. Yes. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Marcy. Thank you so much uh, for giving me a chance to ask my question. Um, I uh, have been dealing with the effects of chronic obstructive sleep apnea, and it really got to quite a difficult point with, um, you know, inability to concentrate, a lot of just depression, anxiety, fogginess. Um, sleep was all over the place, um, and I recently got connected with a CPAP because I just I don't know of any natural remedy for this. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are about sleep apnea and how I can try to restore my sleep and you know to the best of my ability get on you know back onto a rhythm. Um, is there anything I can do? Because the CPAP itself is helping a bit, but not that much. I'm still waking up a ton during the night. Um, it's just all over the place. I'll be sleeping, you know, eight hours one night and I can barely sleep six the next. And yeah, I just would love some advice (laughs) or any impressions you have about how I can improve this. Well, let me recount for you a conversation that I had a great many years ago. I was um, studying and working with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and I whined at her one day and it was very much a whine. I said, you know, Elizabeth, you don't give us enough time to sleep. 
And she says, mm-hmm. what do you mean? I said, you know, we're in here working with you till like 1, 2 in the morning, and then we're like up early in the morning and working with people, you know, from like before breakfast. We don't have enough time to sleep. She says, what is so important about sleep? I said, Elizabeth, sleep is like a basic human need, you know, food, water, sex, sleep, that kind of thing. She said, no, your problem is you don't know how to rest. I said, what? She said, sleep, sleep, you really, you need far less sleep than you think. If you will rest. Hmm. And no one had ever separated sleep from rest before. And I began a lifelong quest for when can I rest? Mm. So let's imagine that you're driving somewhere. Do you drive somewhere now and then? Absolutely. And when you drive somewhere, there might be traffic lights. Definitely. And what do you do when there's a red traffic light? I don't rest. rest, I can tell you that. (laughs) Rest. You rest. You close your eyes. And you count from 1 to 10, and then you count from 10 to 1. And if for some reason the light changes while your eyes are closed, the nice driver behind you will honk. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. How many times a day can you find a time to rest? I would suppose, like many people, you use a computer. And most of us who use computers at least now and then have to download something. And when that is downloading, that's a good time to rest. Even something as simple as waiting for water to boil is an opportunity to rest. If you will do as Elizabeth Kubler-Ross told me to do, which is to look at the many, many, many opportunities throughout the day that you have to rest, then you will find that whether or not you sleep, it's meaningless. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, what I hear you saying is a big piece of that is resting the mind. Well, yeah. (laughs) I just think of, like, laying down and taking a nap. But you're talking about something far more profound. Yes, I'm talking about what is sometimes called the relaxation response. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with which everything in your body, your heart rate slows, your blood pressure goes down, your respiration slows. You stop making stress hormones, and it really, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 is enough to do it. Now, not the first time, but if you just keep practicing your countdown and count back up, you will find that your body will respond, and it will sooner and sooner have a full relaxation response, even in a matter of a couple of seconds. Mm. Yeah, that feels very attainable to me. <laughs> um, I yes. struggle with sort of long, long meditation periods, although I know that would be very good for me. But this feels like something that's doable even in the middle of a, a busy life. A long meditation period is not necessarily good. For many people, it's way too much. So I agree. You know, what you can do, what, what, you, what will really give you rest. Some people... Find that what really promotes the relaxation response for them is to take five minutes to sit with headphones and listen to some music you really love. Mm-hmm. 
not some music that's going to make you work hard at the gym or not some music, you know, or, you know, somebody talking, but just some, and preferably without words, some piece that you really respond emotionally to. I love that. Yeah. So what you're talking about for the people who don't don't really know what CPAP is and all that um, is that when you lay down to go to sleep at night, for a variety of reasons, the back of your throat closes down, thus effectively choking you. And you literally stop breathing. You can't breathe. Well, your body doesn't want to die, so it wakes you up. And as you wake up, you gasp, and your airway comes open. That gasp, however, can cause stress hormones to be released, which then pretty much prevents you from going back to sleep. And as as you say, this can happen for some people 100 times a night. So the continuous air pressure, which is the CPAP machine, is supposed to pump enough air into your throat to keep it open. That's the idea that's causing a continuous air pressure. So if it's not working for you, it is probably because the apparatus that you're using is too large or too small. There are a variety right, of different, I, there are variety of different CPAP machines. And when they work, they absolutely work. Yeah, I um, I have a follow-up with the sleep medicine doctor, um, you know, in about 10 days or so. So, yeah, I, I hope that they will be able to recommend something different or if the I don't know if the pressure needs to be increased and I you know or if I need a different kind of mask there's a lot of sort of fine tuning with it which is you yes. know why I so appreciate you you yeah. kind of giving me suggestions of what to do in the meantime as this is hopefully and going I would I would suppose that they have suggested that you elevate your upper body um, yes and uh, I did get a wedge but I think it was too high of a wedge because it was um, irritating my lower back <laughs> so I maybe I need to go with a lower one <laughs> Uh huh. have you ever been to Monticello? Um, I haven't Pre- President Jefferson's home and you know he was a very tall man and you go in there and the beds are about like four feet long and you look at them and you say how? Everyone slept sitting up. Wow. It was a cultural belief, and possibly not a wrong cultural belief, that if you slept laying flat on your back, you'd die. That's so interesting. People have theorized that, you know, everybody had chronic bronchitis, and that's why they had to sleep sitting up. It certainly wasn't because they weighed too much. I have had friends whose weight has gotten to the point where they have to sleep sitting up because the weight of their body prevents them from breathing when they lay down. 
Well, and the doctors did, really didn't bring this up to me because I had been having all these symptoms and nothing was helping <laughs> and, you know, herbal or, you know, otherwise. And it was, you know, the sleep apnea. And they said, oh, we just didn't even think because, you know, usually it's, um, you know, a larger man. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it's even less common in women. So they're sort of the pro, they're looking for the typical profile. And I didn't fit that. Right. So it took a long time to be discovered. It's not necessarily clear to you that you're waking up that many times a night. No, I mean, I would sometimes remember waking up, sometimes not. But, yeah, it was, they, you know, they, it's, it's, they... Yeah, people say, well, how could you not know you wake up 100 times? Because you really just don't know. I when, when Fitbit first came out, the thing that really attracted me to Fitbit was that it would track your sleep. And the first time I wore my Fitbit... While I slept, and then I looked at the next day, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I was actually I actually woke up 25 times last night." Mm-hmm. And I said, "I don't want to do that." And so I said to my body, "Excuse me, please. We are not going to be waking up that many times." And by the next night, I only woke up four times. Wow! I never thought I would never thought to do that. That's genius. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> this is so good. It's, yeah, you can just tell your body, hey, please cut it out. Right. Excuse me. We don't like this. We don't want to do this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, especially if, you know, there's the airflow is there. You know, it's like it's almost like the, the body is trained to keep waking up. Yes. So when you said herbs, what kinds of herbs were you using? Um, valerian, uh, passion flower, um, and melatonin, and sometimes a, like a melatonin and valerian blend uh, were the different things I've tried. None of which have any influence on your breathing. No, no. So you're yeah. treating this as though you were having a problem with sleeping, but you weren't really having a problem with sleeping, and you're not having a problem with sleeping, you're having a problem with breathing. Correct. In fact, herbs like valerian can make your breathing problem worse because they relax your throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could absolutely see that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with valerian or passiflora, but that it's if what's happening is sleep apnea, then it's kind of the wrong way to go. So, so what would your recommendation? Yeah, and be for, so um, have you experimented with different? Positions laying down in bed, like on your right side, your left side, your back, your front. I know we all have a favorite sleeping position, but when we're being bothered and woken up a lot, it's sometimes worthwhile trying to push that edge and see if there's a different position that gives you more comfort. Mm-hmm. Yes, and some people had recommended throwing a tennis ball to the back of my pajamas because I am a back sleeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, that seems extreme but I guess you know it's worth a try you could also just get um, a quilt or a um, comforter and Mm -hmm. roll it up and put it next to you so you fall asleep on your side and then you have like a Mm -hmm. bolster of you know cushiony material behind you so that you're not tempted to roll over yeah 
Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I have I have some heavy, you know, like um one of those weighted blankets that I could sort of pile up. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So because it really posture does help a lot. Yeah, no, I'm willing to try anything to just uh, <laughs> you know, make Right, but it's either terrible. the yeah. head of the bed up or sleep on your side. You don't want to sleep on your side with the head of the bed up. Right, right, right. Right, right? That okay. makes sense. Right. <laughs> no, Thomas Jefferson. No, that was, makes sense. Bed was like a box, you know. It was like cushioned on the back, so he really like sat up like he was sitting in a chair and just slept that way, which was what everybody did. What do people do nowadays is they sleep in recliners. Huh? My brother is a very large man. He's a multiple X. He has not just XY in his cells, but XXXY in his cells. And it's impossible for him to sleep laying down. Mm. He slept in a recliner for years and years and years because it allows him to elevate his upper body to the exact level he wants, right? You've got a wedge, it was too much. And the problem with the wedge, it's always going to be the same amount, and yet some nights you may need more and some nights less. And that's what the reclining chair does. Yeah, I should I should definitely uh think about investing in one of those. I really yeah, I don't have, you know, really kind of nice recliner that I think you could sleep in. It'd be definitely I'm I'd be more than willing to try that. <laughs> <laughs> the people who do it are very happy is all I could tell you. <laughs> yeah. I occasionally fall asleep in my chair. I mean, it's not a recliner, but uh I will occasionally fall asleep in my chair and and wake up and say, you know, you'd really be more comfortable in bed. So I get up and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's different, right? Right. But, uh, you know, so I was really surprised when I found that, that my brother and various other people actually choose to sleep in their chairs. It's their, their preferred place to sleep. Thank you. This has been so, so helpful. Yeah, I so, so appreciate you taking the time. And these are just really, these are suggestions that I really feel like I can easily implement. You know, I was getting overwhelmed with all the different herbal options. <laughs> right. And, you know, these are, these so are if, if you're looking for an yeah. herbal option, I would say investigate mullen. Mullen will strengthen and restore um, any damage that has been, um, any Damage that has taken away the health of your lungs, Mullen will help you get it back. Oh. So rather than yeah. rather than herbs that are going to force you to sleep, uh, let's use some herbs to help your lungs. And I and just you know again, let's give up on sleep. Mm-hmm. Just totally give up on it. It's okay. What I say to people is, if you are so sleep deprived that you can't drive, then we really need to do something about it. But if you're mostly just cranky because you don't think you got enough sleep, that's a different thing, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, and I and I, I so get 
you know, what you mean about incorporating rest and just, yeah. you know, making that way of life and just, yeah, letting go of the anxiety <laughs> about did I get enough? But yeah. That's exactly. So exactly. Right. If you can do your work, get through your day, and you're not falling asleep while you're driving, you're fine. Yeah. No, that's I'm not at that point, thankfully. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sounds like you get the occasional eight hours of sleep. It sounds good. Yeah, especially over the last month. I'm very thankful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Susan. Really, really appreciate it. I'll uh, I'll uh, let another uh, caller come on, but thank you okay. so, so much. Okay. You know, give us a call back in four to six weeks and let us know what's happening, okay? Great. I absolutely will. Thanks again. Okay. Dream blessings. Good night. Thank you. Good night. All right. That was so helpful to hear. It was really great. Um, the next caller is calling from the 919 area code. And we're on. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hey. It's great to talk to you. Um, I'll get right to it. Um, about a month ago, my... Um, my breast, um, I had some discharge from my breast. I still have it. I'm 62 and I never had any children. And um, it's clear and sticky. So it kind of just, at first I thought it was just jelly that fell on my shirt. But then it just kept, um, kept um, coming on and wearing all my, my clothes. So um, I started uh, taking some echinacea, uh, just the folia that I had made. And I did make it from the dry group because I don't have access to the um, to the other. So, but it, and you started thinking echinacea because you thought it was an infection. I did, yes. Uh huh. Because and, there was um, pain. And had, um, pardon me. You thought it was an infection because there was pain. Yes, there's a, there's a small bit of pain. Yes, there's not really painful, but there's a small. You bit thought of it was pain. an infection because there's redness. Um, I couldn't tell. It's right there. I, I and you thought it was an infection breast. because there's fever and heat. Yeah, well, it was hot. Yeah, it was hot. And it was slightly painful. It wasn't really painful a whole lot. But, um, I do have a lump under that nipple and the areola area. It's really, um, it's, it's a good size lump, but I know it's not. It's a benign lump. Um, and it hasn't, it's been about a month, and it's still dripping. I try wearing you know, loose clothes. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, you're getting a little bit garbled, so sometimes I'm not hearing everything okay. you say. There's a lump okay. in that area in your breast, but you know that that lump is benign. Is that what you said? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. And that's because, because it's been biopsied? Biopsy. Yes, I had one, yes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. And then two days after the biopsy, I was out playing um, – I have blueberry canes, and the uh, loppers hit right there in that area. So uh, they came they came back and hit that area. But um, that was in January. I'm sorry, what hit the area? My loppers. I was lopping blueberry canes, and I was pushing really hard, your, and I let you were, go. Where were there was a locker, and the locker door hit your breast? Loppers, loppers. I was cutting blueberry canes. Oh, you loppers, were you know, something in your loppers. The yeah. handle of the loppers hit your breast. Yes, yeah, right where the right where the head of the um, incision. Uh-huh. But that was back in January. Um, so about a month ago, it started leaking, and um, I took echinacea for about um, 
a week, and it, it soon kept stopped. But then I wore something very loose-fitting without a bra, and it started up again. So it seems like every time it's stimulated, it starts to leak again. Well, I'm going to look in breast cancer, question mark, breast health, exclamation point, and let's look under, just see if there's anything at all under, we have digestion, dioxin, but no discharge. It's a fairly rare thing. And I don't know that it's necessarily associated with cancer, but it's not necessarily not associated with it. There is a section in this book about um, different oils that we can use on our breasts. Burdock seed oil. Relieves bruises caused by biopsies. I personally think that this is a result of the biopsy. Even after 10 months? Oh, yeah. Okay. Calendula blossom is gentle enough for regular use, and it prevents adhesions and scar tissue. And there's castor oil... Right, a classic thing, and dandelion oil, especially dandelion flower oil, promotes a deep relaxation of the breast tissue and facilitates the release of held emotions. Hmm. And we want to avoid essential oils. Olive oil, right, is wonderful, either used as a base for herbs or by itself, plantain leaf oil can reverse in-situ cancer cells. Poke root oil burns away breast cancer. Red clover blossom oil melts away lumps, counters cancer, and helps the lymph system reabsorb unwanted cells. And St. Joan's wort blossom oil is an exceptionally useful ally for any woman who has nerve damage caused by any kind of surgery to the breast. Okay, I've been using that. Yeah, so that's just a few of the possible applications that you could put on there. If you have any sense that this is a problematic thing, then I certainly encourage you to seek further help. If if you say if you're saying to yourself, you know, it just seems like it, it like it's wrong to me, um, then what you can do is set yourself, you know, a time limit, and say if you know if this is not resolved within X amount of time, then I am going to um, go to seek some further help. Okay. That's what I was trying to do. I know the one to do yeah. a mammogram, so I didn't want to go do that again. I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And well, you don't necessarily have to. Bi- you don't necessarily have to get a biopsy. You can just talk to somebody. Okay. Right. Going Except to the professional. Excuse me. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're going to ask somebody for help does not mean you have to do what they say. You're asking them for help. You're not asking them to tell you what to do. Yes. Right? Like the woman who exactly. Right, went out to, to get something and then wound up with all these other things. But it, it helps to stay focused. Um, right? Hi, I have come here because I want you to tell me whether or not you think this discharge from my breast is a problem. And that person can say, it is a problem, it isn't a problem, or I can't tell you whether or not it's a problem, right? Exactly. And then they might say, but I could tell you more if we did a CAT scan or an MRI or whatever, whatever, and you can say, I'll think about that and get back to you. You are not under any obligation to do any further tests. You're going there for some information, yes? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. There's nothing really to dry it up. There's nothing to, I mean, the other ones are to just um, calm the area. And, uh, is there yeah, I'm not sure that we would want to draw anything out. Or dry it up. I'm sorry, dry it up. Again, and a little unclear as to whether or not that was would be what I would want to do. Maybe it would be, but maybe it wouldn't be. All right. Well, I'll just give it some more time. I'll give it that's a month. What, that's so. what I think. Let's give us. Let's let it declare itself a little more. And if I'm very concerned about something, I will also say um, I need for you to speak to me in a dream. so that I can understand what our relationship is. All right. I can do that. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okie dokie. Okay. Green blessings. Well, thank you Thanks for your call. Thanks for your questions. Thank you. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. We have um, several hands still raised. So our next caller is in the 845 area code. Hi, Susan. Good evening, everybody. Um, this is the girl with the shrinking teratoma. I wanted to thank you um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. You, you taught me how to rebrew my comfrey and linden, and I can't believe how delicious, more delicious they got to me. So thank you so much for that. I, I, now that's just what I do with that. So I, And I love the, the second batch more than the first. Um, Susan, I wanted to ask you, uh, I am still kind of in the same predicament, taking some pain relief, and I do take my yarrow once a day, and I still feel, even though I am relieving myself, I still feel a constipation and an urge to go and nothing comes out, but a new thing has come up that makes me a little frightened because I wonder if there's something infected or inflamed, and that is that I do have uh, it's not very hard gas, but I have gas, and it's liquidy. And often for the past week, it's been slightly incontinent, not in a great amount, but enough to be super annoying when you have cleaned PJs, you know. So I wondered if there was something that I'm doing wrong, if it's the yarrow, or if there's another thing that you could suggest. Well, I will tell you what I have been told about that. 
I certainly am not an expert, so I'm simply passing on what an expert has said to me. Uh And that is that if there's some kind of growth Mm -hmm. and it's breaking down, that it will usually cause those symptoms. And I know it is that growth. I know it's breaking down. Because, Susan, I just want to say one more thing. Three nights in a row, um, I didn't get up to pee. So it's like that to me is a big step because I just always have to get up because it's so painful and then I pee and I'm fine. And three whole nights. So thank you for healing me basically. And I beg every morning, I implore my chickweed to just please keep on working because I really feel very close to that 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 plant now. Uh, thank you. Yeah. And, hey, you go into any drugstore and there are – aisles of pads that you can use. Uh, that's what I've been doing, just in case. I, anything, you know, I, anything, there's like these little micro pads which are infused with charcoal to help prevent cramping and pain. Have you seen those? No, they help prevent cramping as well? Yes. Oh, see, I keep out of drugstores unless I have to go, but now I'm going to have to look for that. You know, just because... I'm always curious as to what's there. You know, every six months or so, I just walk into a drugstore and I walk around and look to see what products are available, especially for intimate care, right? Yes. And they're called nanopads. Okay. Now, if I only had these kind of pads when I used to have my period, that would be nice. (laughs) Well, yeah, right. I used to use those clumpers. (laughs) Right. Nanopads are organic materials, biodegradable packaging, and innovative technology to reduce menstrual discomfort and all symptoms. Oh, that's perfect. Wow. This product does not contain fragrance, drugs, herbal medicines, fluorescent materials, or allergens. Wow. (laughs) And you face. Right, and then they go on to tell you about the scientific studies that have shown that that what they're using in this pad actually prevents cramping. Wow, that would be great. You know, honestly, my skull cap and my um, my CBD is is, and of course, my buddy Advil, who I gotta have have in the mix, is kind of taking care of me. But I notice I need less. So, and then Yay. some days are so great. So I know things are breaking up, and they're not going to do it in my timing, right? Well, you know, if if you are being treated by the medical profession, and if they've done surgery or chemotherapy or radiation, yep, stuff would be pouring out of you, and it would be far more dramatic than what's going on. And mm-hmm. that's. One of the things that I find can be useful to some people, depends kind of on how your mind works, but for some people to say, well, this is a lot less discomfort than I would have to to deal with if they had done surgery on me. Uh-huh. Yes, I agree. Kind of puts it in perspective. Yeah. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. It's not the healthy you you would like to be, but it neither is it a messed up version of you. Or worse, if things go wrong, yeah. Exactly. Right, and that's what keeps my fear at bay, although I have my moments. And what you said to that other person about rest, I really, that I, 
I'm going to listen to that again because that was really what needs to happen. I get stressed out. Oh, my God, I got up to pee. Now I don't even have my full seven hours, and I'm trying to heal. And you know what? I don't need them. I can I can calm down a little bit during the day. Please do. Yes. Thank you so much, Susan. And I'm sorry I called you again twice in a month. but hey, I, I, I'm, as as I'm so happy you called. I want to be I, here for you. It's good. Work at the farm. Boy, I got to get on it. Okay. Every you had a work day, it didn't feel good, but I, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to work hard. All right. Looking forward to it. Green blessings to you, my love. Green blessings. Bye. Okay, we have the next caller is calling from 646. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi, thank you so much again for everything that you do for us. You know, I love your show, and I have such deep respect for you and deep love as well. Um, thank you. Question, thank you so much. You're welcome. My question um, tonight is I, I gave birth about one month ago, and um, I was wondering, I'm nursing now, uh, you know, breastfeeding my child, and I was wondering if I can start taking the herbs like Mother Word and St. John's uh, Word tinctures. Or would that be okay? Would that affect my milk or him? Or As far as I know and as far as I have seen, it would be perfectly fine. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. So maybe yeah. I'll try a little dose and see how I feel and how he feels. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you would want to take the motherwort because you're feeling stressed or anxious or... Yes, actually, it's my second question. My birth was very traumatic, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to... Uh, I chose, you know, it was my choice to go through the medical profession. I, I was debating to do the midwife or the medical, and I, when I tried to find out about the midwives, my insurance wasn't covering, and it was out of pocket, like very expensive. I couldn't afford it, and a lot of midwife places in New York actually booked so early. I didn't know that. So I chose a doctor, and, you know, I went through the medical profession, which was, was stressful because, you know, I have different beliefs, And but the doctor I chose was good. And then um, my whole pregnant pregnancy was fine, but every time going for a checkup was stressful. And then, you know, the birth itself was very stressful. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I think birth in general is stressful. And so I hear stories where women say it was very easy and, and like, they would do it again right away. Then mine was completely completely different. So my other question was, how do I... Uh, in our Can you tell me more about what was stressful about your birth? Well, it had to be. I had to be induced at 37 weeks um, because you my, had to be induced I, at 37 chose, weeks, which is three weeks before your due date. Yeah. Because, uh, I uh, because uh, through the whole pregnancy, my baby wasn't growing according to the ultrasound appropriately. Mm-hmm. So they keep saying he's 19 percentile, 20 percentile. My like his femur is shorter. Then, you know, my umbilical cord, I had um, insertion, was, which is, wasn't in the middle and was on the side. But, you know, I talked to you about it, and you actually gave me good information, which helped me not to fear and stress about it. Um, and then, yeah, so that those are the two. And then my uterus had some extra tissue, which wasn't bothering anybody, but it was there. Um, and, yeah, so the, my last ultrasound at around 37 weeks, uh, they asked, they said, the doctor was very, very cautious, like, you have to uh, you have to get induced or the baby will die. 
And uh, when I asked her questions, she said that, you know, being confrontational with her. So I just thanked her and asked her to leave because she wasn't helpful. Um, and I took my time to think about it. And I asked my intuition. I said with that, you know, and my intuition and you know, was saying I do, I should get induced. It's like it was the right thing to do. And um, so, that wasn't, so, that, so that's not stressful if you've chosen it. Yes. Yes, I mean I know it's well. It was the right decision. It's just the process of it. I didn't know like the pitocin. You know, I mean I'm sure you know they induce just you with pitocin, which is like oxytocin, but it's not because it doesn't allow the body to release endorphins and it's you know there's side effects as well. So as soon as they start to induce me, my child's heart went down. Right, the heart rate went down, and they had to stop, and then they had to do it again, and then I I decided to do epidural which was another mistake because um, as soon as they did epidural, his heart rate went down again and they run in and, and, you know, they had to move me and put the oxygen mask and like, because I was so scared. I thought he was going to die, but um, he didn't. It was just the heart rate that fluctuated. And I read about it beforehand about everything about the pitocin and the, how the epidural decreases the heart rate. And, but you know, when, when you there, it's all of that. It doesn't matter. Like it's, and I didn't realize how, you get so vulnerable because you're so connected. You can't get off the bed. You have all these monitors on you, on your on your belly, and you know to monitor the heart rate. And then, you know, of course, epidural. You can't get off the bed. Now you, you begin to see that actually paying for a midwife is inexpensive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Next. Next. Yeah. Yeah. I that paying for that midwife would have saved you a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, it's a stress. Do you know that autism is more closely linked to ultrasounds than it is to inoculations? Yeah. And that uh, there is no governing uh, ultrasound body that believes that ultrasound is safe for unborn children? Yeah, I, I read and I talked to you and you told me that, but they scared. I mean, I, I you know I got scared because he wasn't growing, so I kept yeah. doing. But what you check. said was this ultrasound and that ultrasound and this next ultrasound, but every ultrasound you got scared you more. Yeah. Well, there was one good one, <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, and again, this is not unusual. The medicalization of anything brings up fear. That's right. And the one they told me he's overcome. When we're afraid, all. it's just about impossible to make a good decision. Nobody's going to make a good decision when they're in fear. It's yeah. impossible because, first of all, the oxygen and blood supply to the brain is shut off. Yeah, it's just constricted, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So the best that most of us can do is to avoid putting ourselves in situations in which we are going to be in fear. Somebody so was, somebody was yeah. complaining to me the other day. We lost a, a very, very lovely member of our community to pancreatic cancer last year. And she was complaining that he just did everything the doctors told him to do and the doctors killed him. And I looked at her and I said, you have to understand, he was afraid. And the doctor said if he didn't do what they told him to do, he would die. She said, but he died Anyway, I said, yeah, well, the doctors don't tell you that. <laughs> I know, it's, it's such a complex decision. I have a lot of guilt about 
the whole, you know, the whole birth thing. That and how is that guilt? How is that guilt serving you? I mean, I'll do better next time. How is your guilt serving you? It teaches me not to do things that I no, did. No, it does like, not. No, guilt like, does not teach anything. Guilt is a dysfunctional feeling and should never be indulged. Hmm. Kick guilt out of your life. No blame, no shame, no guilt. You made the decisions that seemed best to you at the time. You can't do any better. There is not any better to do. That's the best there is. You did the best you could do. Trying to do better the next time almost guarantees that you'll do worse. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. Because you will not allow yourself to make a spontaneous decision based on real-time response. But you're going to now set it up so that you will feel compelled to recreate and then overcome something you did in the past. Hmm. That's a very good point. That is true. Should you get pregnant again and should you give birth again, it will be different. Yeah, that's my fear now. A woman who's had more than one child and she'll say, oh, it's totally different. Yes, I hear. And sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. Worse. Well, better, worse. You know, those are relationship words. I don't know if they're necessarily. In terms of stress, (laughs) it's different. It's different, you know. And, uh, you know, certainly one of the things that you could say is, oh, gee, if I had chosen the midwife, I would have been supported rather than pushed around. And how come? Because that doctor is being pushed around. Her yeah. income is based on her statistics. Yes, and they're so busy. Yeah, I see that. Right. So she can't afford to have anything go wrong with you or she will lose income. So it's in her financial interest to treat you very conservatively, to induce your labor rather than saying, let's see what's going on. Let's see how we can work naturally with this. She doesn't have any incentive to work naturally in that way, whereas the midwife does have that incentive. That's true. Well, because the thing you're about my pay her no matter what happens. <laughs> that's true. Right? That's so, true. so the midwife is actually working for you, or is the doctor wasn't working for you, was she? Mm, most of the time, no. But she did stay for my labor when it was her shift was almost over, so I have to give her that, and I was so grateful because, uh, you know, my, like I, I'm sure I, that she's a lovely yeah. person, but nonetheless, she has a license to lose. Yeah. She has financial yeah, all, yeah. she has financial stress and she has a license to lose and that means she can't work for you. Yeah, and that's how it felt. Yeah, of course. And that's yeah. not to put her down or to say that she's wrong or mean or bad. Well, it's just the way it works. The, the it's system. just the way it works. And so we as consumers need to understand that 
and that if we're asking a doctor to be there for us, that is an impossible request. The doctor simply can't. But my thing with midwife was the fear that if I won't be in the hospital and, what, and, and because there was some issues already with the pregnancy, I wasn't sure if that would be the, you know, the, the safest, I guess, choice. If you're with a midwife and you need a hospital, you are taken to a hospital and there is no hospital in the world that is going to tell you to go away. So what if it's too late? You know, there was an article about that other midwife. If, what if, what if, what if, what if? Really, you're going to live your life on what ifs? I think the best thing to do the next time you get pregnant is just schedule a cesarean for around 36 weeks. No. And we'll be absolutely guaranteed that there's no what ifs. I mean, except you could die, but other than that, there's no what ifs, right? Please, life is an adventure. It is. It's so true. It's a scary adventure, though, sometimes. Yes, it is a scary adventure. Absolutely. Definitely a scary adventure. But choosing medical conservatism, which is which is what you were pushed into, right? the conservative thing is, we're just going to take this baby and douche you and take this baby out of you because we don't trust the natural yeah. process. Right? Yeah. Does not lead to health. It didn't leave you in a healthy state. I personally wish that you had called right after you'd given birth because I would have said, take motherwort right now. Mm. I'm taking my infusions and Good. Who yeah, told you not thing. to take motherwort? Nobody. I, I, you know, I, I read and I just, you know that when um, that it can cause contractions of the uterus and. Good. I, after you've given birth, you want your uterus to contract. Oh, I didn't think. And my placenta abrupt it so before when I was giving birth. So I don't know if that would make it worse. I mean, they took it. I had to manually take all, all this placenta out and. I had bleeding and clots, and I mean, thank God everything is better now. abrupted, which means it peeled itself off during the birth. You don't have to go in and take out a placenta that is abrupted. She, she used her hands, my doctor, and took it off. I'm not saying she didn't. I'm simply saying one of those two things is wrong. I'm not, what do you mean? An abrupted placenta is a placenta that has pulled away from the uterus before yeah. the child has left the womb. That's what happened to me. It was a lot of blood Which coming out. In case the placenta comes out with the child, you don't need to do anything to get it out. Yeah. But in my case, it was... Or the placenta stays firm on the uterus. Because you've induced labor and the placenta is not ready to leave, and then you have to do really desperate things to get the placenta out. Hmm. Well, I don't know. That's what she told me that it's abrupt. Cannot happen, you know, at the same time. Either the placenta fell off by itself prior to the time it should have, which can be a difficulty during birth because it can shut down the amount of oxygen that the child is able to yes. get. That's why she told me it was very close to emergency C-section, but she knew, you know, she'd been watching my child. He was not tolerating. I had to push him out in like two pushes or three pushes. It was so scary. She said he was not tolerating birth. And uh, Most she had to be out. Are pushed out within two or three pushes? I've never mm -hmm. been in a birth where it's taken more than two or three pushes. 
Really? I thought it takes out an hour or two to push. No way! Oh. And they use a vacuum to, to, to help. Again, they just did everything they possibly could. Your bill must have been enormous. No, sure my insurance is supposed to cover it, I hope. No, oh, well, it doesn't mean that you didn't have an enormous bill. Yeah. Insurance is not free. We all pay for insurance. Oh, yeah. I know and the that. more your procedures cost, the more the insurance premiums go up for everybody. Oh, it's not good. So it really does matter that they added all these things on, which which add to the price over and over and over. Yeah, but to be honest, emotional crisis is not strong. I mean, it's all I, I agree with you on everything that you said, and and I, I I learned from this a lot, and I feel like my epidural didn't work at the end. I felt all the pain, and they were trying to like top me off with the epidural as well, and that didn't work. My pain was so severe, so now I know how the pain is, and now I wish I knew because I know I can handle it. I mean, I was crying and praying and trying to take the edge of massaging myself, but now I know I can do it. It's so how did you not know? I didn't know I could handle that pain. How did you not know you could handle the pain? What made you sure you couldn't handle the pain? I'm scared. I mean, when I read about the toast and it said that the pain... What made you know you could not handle the pain? I don't know. Nothing made you know you couldn't handle the pain. In fact, you just decided that you were going to use drugs because you were frightened of the pain. If... If you had read anything or talked to any women who'd done natural childbirth, they would have told you that the pain is not that bad. Well, I talked to women, but they all did. They all had epidural. And they all said to epidural. Not talk to the right women. I called my mom after I gave birth, and I said, it's a baby girl. And she said, when did you have her? I said, about six minutes ago. She said, what are you doing awake? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing awake? Said, no woman can survive the pain of childbirth. I said, bull <laughs> stuff. What are you talking about? Because they gave her the epidural at transition. And at transition is pretty much when the pain stops and the pleasure starts. Mm, that's, that's crazy. It is crazy. Which then meant, you know, that I had to be pulled out with forceps because I didn't have vacuums then. Oh, my God. My mom was gone, right? They, like, knocked her out. Right. Because she was told she couldn't survive the pain. And I said, well, come on, what? And my doctor told me Not to even as bad. I broke my wrist, and I'll tell you, giving birth is nowhere near as bad as the pain of breaking my wrist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the pain from my broken wrist went on for months. Right, that's I'm true. I was childbirth in a few hours. Hi. Well, you were also younger than me. I don't know if that has to do with anything. But I feel like it's easier when you're younger, maybe. I don't know. If what we mean by young is simply a matter of years, then I wouldn't agree. If what you mean by young is involved with life, flexible and healthy, then I would agree. But it doesn't have to do with mm-hmm. your age, does it? No. And your story is so empowering. Like you broke the 
you like they tie you up and I know you told the story to somebody else and you like broke the thing and you hug your baby and my story feels like I didn't get to hug my baby. I touched my baby. That was as close as they let me get. I actually put my hands on my baby. And as soon as I did, they said, if you do anything else, we're going to sedate you so deep that you won't be back here for three days. Okay, that's so crazy. I mean, mine too, there was for a second. Then I felt like a checkup. They just give it to me in my chest for like a second. And then they took it away to clean and do all these other things. Right. No midwife would do that. Midwife is not going to put that kind of stuff. So, yes, you can take motherwort. Yes, you can take hypericum. Yes, you can drink nourishing herbal infusions. And your baby will benefit from all of it. So do those things. Do be working with those things. I applaud you for doing them. And if you need to start a guilt book or a blame book and write down the things you feel guilty or that you blame yourself for in that book, with the understanding that once you've written the book, you can read it anytime you want to, but you are no longer allowed to ever think it. Mm, yeah, I like that actually. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try to do that one. Okay. Yeah. And, um, All right. I guess. Thank you. And I need to say green blessings and goodbye to you. you so that we can welcome our guest, Mandara Cromwell. Mandala Cromwell is a doctor of cymatic medicine and the president of Cyma Technologies. She manufactures her own inventions, including the Acoustic Meridian Intelligence Cymotherapy Devices. Her devices were nominated for the Thomas Edison Award for Innovation in the fields of science and medicine, and she has been inspired to create her own company to preserve the integrity of the specific healing frequency patterns that were passed to her as a body of work from the British osteopath, Dr. Peter Guy Manners, about 20 years ago. Mrs. Cromwell, Ms. Cromwell coined the term cymotherapy, to refer to wave therapy. Dr. Manners and other British and German researchers had been referring to it as cymatic therapy. She has taken this work to new places with her own inventions, her own devices, and her continuing research with innovative sound therapy protocols. As a way of forwarding, this is, this is entitled short bio, just so you know. Right, and we're not even halfway through this supposedly short bio here. Holy smoke, Aroonies. <laughs> All right, as a way of forwarding the field of vibrational medicine, Ms. Cromwell founded the International Sound Therapy Association. It has been producing conferences to bring new voices together in the field of sound science. Ongoing classes, trainings, and programs are offered in numerous cities. In 2017, Mandara produced the Atlanta Conference Cymatics, the Art and Science of Making Sound Visible, which featured never-before-seen sound-made-visible images of the healing frequencies in her own sound therapy devices. She acted as co-producer on two short films created at the University of Florida utilizing cymatic images, the dance divine featuring dance yoga and sound images, as well as Full of Stars, a short film showing three-dimensional views of healing frequencies. 
Just this year, she released her first book, Sun Soundflower, The Journey to Mary, Science, and Spirit, which includes many stunning cymoglyph illustrations. Wow, I would hate to read the long bio. Welcome to the show, Mandara. Thanks, Susan. I'm just unmuting her now. And say what? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Susan. This is Mandara. Thanks for having me on the show. It's so wonderful so to be wonderful here with to you. have you here. So this is you have are expanded upon and are working with information that was passed to you from Dr. Manners. Yes, that's correct. That's and correct. could you tell us about your first meeting with Dr. Manners and how you got involved? I will. Um, you know, let me just back up uh, a couple of decades very quickly and just tell you that my life has a common thread of uniting me with the vibrational world. And uh, as a child, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I would tug on my dad's suit coat to point something out to him in the church. It was a beautiful architectural um, Gothic-style church. And to me, the um, halos of the angels and the saints were vibrating. And so the artists were very um, in tune with the vibrational world in that those vibrations were coming from, from those beings. So as a child, to me, they they spoke to me. And uh, so then I went on um, through my um, elementary and, and college years and became very interested in Eastern philosophy and spent some time in India studying sound and vibration there, uh, resident, uh, resonant architecture, uh, which is specifically created to harness sound and um, create like force fields to help us maintain a vibrationally true state that, uh, you know, brings all of our bodies, our energy bodies and our physical body into coherence. And so I was really interested in this type of philosophy. And when I came back to America, I ran a meditation center and was very interested in, you know, back in those days uh, in the 70s, um, one didn't really make a living at teaching yoga uh, or meditation. So it was kind of a, a side thing that I, I really um, loved doing and went on about my life in, in a corporate way. Then one day I um, was involved in the holistic healthcare field of uh, being a consultant to physicians and integrative healthcare practices that were looking for ways of how to bridge Eastern and Western therapies. And I received a phone call one day from a gentleman who told me about Dr. Manners. And when I first met him, he was 97 years old, but he moved like a 30-year-old. And so I knew something was uh, something about this sound was was really uh, magical. 
And um, so I had learned in studying with him that he was the last living member of a collaborative group of scientists and researchers who had put together this body of work. We call it the, the biosignatures of the body. And your audience has probably heard that um, throughout the past few decades, our Western science has noted that each of our organ systems and each of our um, muscles and, and tendons, ligaments, those groups have a particular vibratory resonance. Um, in some circles, it's called the prime frequency resonance of a, a, an um, organ system. And so here, you know, in Europe, this group of scientists had studied this and, and put together these particular types of frequencies to call the body, when it was out of tune, back to a type of resonance. And so when I first met him, he's... Um, you know, a little eccentric to say the least, but such a, an amazing wealth of information and a wonderful teacher. And I just feel really blessed to um, have met him in, in our paths crossing. And, and I feel very fortunate that every day I get to wake up and live in the vibrational sound world, helping people um, regain their health. How's that for the short Cliff's Notes version? <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Amazing. <laughs> you know, for a culture that is so besotted with sound, you know, so many people have seemed to have something that makes music going all the time. Um, it's it's amazing to me that we so ignore how the vibrations of these sounds affect us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So true. So true. You know, there's a, a French physician. Um, he's no longer with us on this plane. His name was Dr. Alfred Tomatis. Or uh, in America, we have Tomatis is his name. But he said you can break sound down just to two sections. Either the sound is giving you energy and supporting you, or the sound is depleting your field. And you can go into any restaurant or store and probably all of you on this call have walked into a store with the intent of picking up a few items, but you're greeted by such a force of sound, or we'll say it's not really music, it's noise, that it interferes with your brainwave state and you absolutely forgot why you walked into the store. So those are the, those are the sounds we say that, most probably they're not supporting you. Um, they are hijacking you to, you know, another experience. And uh, so depending on the music that that particular store or restaurant is playing has a, a very specific, usually it's an intention to um, get you to, you know, move faster through their store or to eat faster so they can turn the table or, um, you know, there's some psychological behavior impression 
to, you know, manipulate us uh, in a particular manner. Now, there are some restaurants that I'll walk into and I'll say, golly, who is selecting the music for your, um, you know, your cuisine? Because I'll go, it doesn't really match. And they go, oh, you know, it's just a, this is something that, you know, the dishwasher likes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, nobody's really paying attention. But it's so profound, uh, the whole sound in, in our um, environment. And, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about EMFs, electro, you know, we're here at the 4G and the 5G. And these vibrational fields very um, much impact our physical well-being. And so it's the, that same thing with the sound. It's just very, very profound. And, you know, so I work in the world of how do we harness sound to our benefit. And uh, that is, uh, that's a really key part that's just kind of coming on the radar screen of a lot of people. You know, I was listening to your show a little earlier. You were discussing about ultrasound. And the amazing thing is, is that nobody really knows how that works. So, you know, science cannot really tell us the mechanism of how and why that works. There are a couple of different camps on ultrasound. You know, sometimes it can be very beneficial, but there are a lot of times, and and I'll say since you were discussing pregnancy and, and seeing babies, with ultrasound, Dr. Manners always said if somebody can refrain from using that, that would be very good, that it can be, you know, really harmful. We really don't know what's going on there. And, of course, there was this whole craze not long ago uh, where I would hear on the radio and television where people could get an ultrasound basically every week of their baby. And it just really made me cringe thinking, gosh, you know, we really need to empower all of us, particularly our women to ask questions, you know, has this ever harmed anyone? And, you know, the fetus is just so, precious and delicate and it's just really the ultrasound can really impact it um so to shift from that to a more positive note um we do want to be aware we do want to empower our brothers and sisters out there and you know i uh really work more in the audible range of sound that we can hear the uh, lower frequencies of, say, um, in the hearing range of like 20 hertz to 10,000 hertz. And anything that gets really high in amplitude with the decibels, uh, we need to be careful that it's not injuring our ears, the ears of our children, the ears of our unborn children. And so sound is just really a vast topic we can go so many ways um so i'll go back to you and see which way you want to take this um this very complex and interesting topic a very complex and interesting topic i was very very good friends with kay gardner Mm. and 
Yes. I don't know if you know of Kay's work, but Kay started doing sound healing before anybody. She did. She, she, love Kay. God bless her. She's in the heavenly really? realms now. And she, yeah. and she was so thorough with us, you know, and we would sound the chakras and, you know, she taught us how the notes related to each other, thirds and fifths, and how they play off each other. And so if there's something going on in this chakra, you don't necessarily want to go into that one. You might want to choose the third or the fifth from it because of the way the harmonics work. And That's right. Yeah. So it, it's quite complicated, and yet um, it can be made simple enough for anyone to understand and certainly sim- simple enough for anyone to benefit from. So one of the things that you've done with this is that you have taken your um, ability to see things in an engineering way and engineered special devices for creating sounds. Is that true? That's correct. And that really came from my um, time that I spent with Dr. Manners and uh, in my studies in, in, in gaining my doctorate there in cymatic medicine under his tutelage. And the um, well, just to, to go back to my earlier years when I was in India, um, I learned through Sanskrit chant and specific meter how we can use our voice uh, to tone, and, and you mentioned toning the chakras, and t- toning and, and bringing our bodies to a level of vibratory radiance um, and optimum health. And I came back to America, as I mentioned, and, and started a meditation center. And it was really difficult to share with people the power of sound because we can't really see sound. Light, we can, you know, at least bring that into the visible range. But the sound, we, we can't see it. And when I learned of the work of Dr. Hans Yenny, and actually Kay Gardner spoke a lot about Dr. Yenny's work in um, her lectures. And so Dr. Yenny was the first person to really use modern day technology to make sound visible. And when I first saw his experiments, he would take a, a membrane and stretch it across like a drum. And he would place a transducer underneath that membrane and sprinkle salt or water, uh, sand, any type of medium, and generate the sound and watch the geometric patterns appear on top of that membrane. And that was the first time we could really see continuous motion of sound creating matter. And when we look at t- today, um, you know, wait, we wait, can... Wait. Create um, the sound created matter? The sound created... Yes. It creates form. It doesn't create the matter, it creates a pattern. It creates the pattern, yes. But it doesn't create matter. It creates a pattern in the matter, right. And but it so, does create... Well, in, in, in physics circles, we can say that, but since we're not going to go into the real physics of, of sound creating matter, 
we're going to say sound creates the form, the geometric form from the matter. And so if the matter is in chaos, like if you can imagine uh, a bunch of sand sprinkled across a, a membrane and then the sound starts coming up from the transducer underneath it, it will take a shape, a geometric shape. And so when people can finally see that, they start to grasp the idea of, oh, this is really affecting me at a cellular level. The music that I'm listening to when I walk into a store or the silence that we feel as we walk through a forest and we just hear the sounds of nature, those all have a very special uh, force field that make an imprint on each of our cells. And we can, that of course, in nature, it's very relaxing and very therapeutic, and we get to kind of inhale those wonderful vibrations. But when the sound is very chaotic, then those are also impacting us at a cellular level. Deepak Chopra says we metabolize every sound in our environment, whether we hear it or not. And... So sound is just a really uh, profound, um, can be a very profound effect on our consciousness and and our physicality. And so what I have done is I've taken um, Dr. Manner's work where he and his group uh, researched a body of frequency patterns that consists of five frequencies for each organ. So your liver has a specific quintet that's playing to it. Your adrenals have another quintet that's playing to it. Your gallbladder, your kidneys, every organ has its very own special quintet that it maintains its optimal resonance. And when we're under stress, stress causes this to come out of its organized pattern. And so it starts dancing sort of to a different tune that's a little chaotic. But then when we come back into our non-stressed state or our relaxed or what we call our rest and digest state, then the organs, hopefully, I haven't been stressed for too long, that they can snap right back into that wonderful tune that is their normal resonance. But when stress exists for prolonged periods of time, and what we call chronic stress is pervading our reality, then we get really stretched out, we get really cranky, the cells you know, become apparent and they're not singing or dancing their normal tune. And then that's when, you know, dis-ease sets in. And when we start having pain and inflammation, those are the signs that we really do need to pay attention. So Dr. Manners in my work with him had created a type of device that we called it a sound box. 
And so we would play the sound box for people who were really out of tune, and it would be kind of like the magic switch that we would flip uh, to really bring them back into tune. Our cells will remember their natural song. We just need to sound the the magical pitch pipe. So the uh, device that I built for Dr. Manners using his body of work of the resonant frequencies helped the body remember its natural song. And in the United States, we, um, you know, are sanctioned by the FDA to say that we relieve stress and pain. So we don't make any medical claims beyond that. But if you look at, you know, what um, all chronic degeneration, uh, degenerative disease is, it's prolonged stress that has just gotten out of hand. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was very much in favor of stress. And what she told us was, if you want to have a big, tall building, you're going to need stress. And if you want to bridge over something, you're going to need stress. And so what you want to do is not to try to avoid stress, but to teach yourself how to cope with stress. And she said there were only two stressors that you could never learn to cope with. And one of them is fast motion, and the other one is loud noise. Uh, yes. Yes. And what amazes and, me is how many people buy a box filled with fast motion and loud noise, bring it home, and turn it on. <laughs> when people somebody, you know, ask me about sound healing, I say, step one in sound healing, get that box out of your house and turn it off. Right. <laughs> A box is not doing your sound environment any good at all. I've been in households. It's hard for me to believe where they have one of those boxes in every single room, and they get up in the morning and turn them all on. Some people even fall asleep with that box going. (laughs) They've really disconnected. They've really disconnected those people, and it is sad. And, you know, we talk a lot about going into nature and just becoming one with you know, the plants. And as you probably know, that there are um, people throughout the world now who are able to, um, you know, get the vibratory sounds from their plants. And the plants certainly have a song. Um, You know, I spent um, time in India and in the south uh, in Kerala is um, a very... A dedicated state to Ayurveda and they plant gardens where you can just walk through and just feeling the vibration of those plants and inhaling their aroma is a healing therapy in itself so um, yes getting out into nature and, and really tuning into the the resonant sound of our our planet when it's at peace uh, which is hard to find those places these days, but um, really, really encourage people to go out there and find those places. Yes, find those places. Now, I have to beg your forgiveness because I have been really a, a poor interviewer. Fifteen minutes ago, I should have asked you to tell people how to get in touch with you so that I could have asked you again now, but I didn't, so I'm going to have to ask you now. Tell people how they can get in touch with you. 
Yes, um, they can visit my website at uh, SimaTechnologies.com, and Sima is spelt with a C, C Y M A, and then it's Technologies, T E C H N O L O G I E S dot com. And um, I, I wanted to talk to you about uh, quickly Sound Flower and how I came up with that name. Um, when we do cymatic experiments in the laboratory uh, with a water, a crystal water cuvette, a little water chamber, and the sound, uh, the healing sounds of um, Dr. Manner's um, frequencies are emitted through that water, you see the sound begin to flower on top of the water. And since there are five different frequencies, as you watch it, you can actually see a second flower coming up right behind that flower that's that's appearing on the surface. And um, I offer a free gift for, for your listeners. If, if they go to the media page at my website, uh, on the left-hand side, they'll see free Cymoglyph. And that's a sound flower that they can download and they can focus and, and meditate on that. In the um, ancient uh, Indian tradition, they have what we call yantras. And these are uh, geometric forms that spiritual adepts would use to um, access higher states of consciousness where it would bring, you know, great calm and the body would would be coherent and, and you would be able to achieve states of healing as well. And so by gazing at this sound flower of this healing image, uh, your listeners will be able to benefit by that. And so I invite them to, to go there and um, enjoy that. What a beautiful gift. Thank you very much. So anybody who comes to your website, um, and Sima is spelled C-Y-M-A, and the website is simatechnologies.com, will receive a free sound flower that they can use to meditate with. Is that correct? That's correct. That's And, and uh, on the download, there's just a few... Uh, like three simple steps of how to get into meditation to look at it. But it's really uh, very easy to gaze into the heart of this sound flower, I call it, um, because this is a, an ancient technique that, uh, you know, people use for thousands of years to attain a state of calm. And um, as we know that when we're in that state of calm, we can very well manage our stresses. So true. And I have had such a good time talking with you that the time really has gotten away from us, and the show is almost at an end. So I'm going to give you the last minute of the show and ask you to answer this question. What do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to you tonight, Mandala? What do I want to leave in the heart and the Dara, mind of Dara, every person? Dara. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I want to leave a sound blessing for everyone to go within and find a quiet space and listen to the beautiful sound of your heart. Take a few deep breaths, exhale, 
and find just for three minutes, a very short period of time because, you know, we're all so busy, but just for three minutes, sit there and listen to the beautiful song within your heart. Thank you. I bless you from the heart of the sound flower. We are blessed from the heart of the sound flower. Thank you, Mandara. Go to C-Y-M-A, Cymatechnologies.com. Get your free sound flower and get started right now on improving yours. Thank you so much, Marcy, for being here with us. We're sending love out to Rebecca out at the funeral of her husband's mom. And we're sending love out to Justine, Monica Jean, and Dave down in Costa Rica. And we'll be right here next week as usual, strewing green blessings about and uh, working on our lifetime goal of restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Good night, everybody. Good night.